You're listening to Changing Reality. Changing Reality, where we bend reality all across the world. Only on WQHS Radio. So hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Changing Reality. Welcome one, welcome all. If this is your first time watching the show, where have you been all my life? This is the place to be. Here are where the stories are at, and we appreciate you guys tuning in for today's episode. So for all of you who are new, Changing Reality is a show that interviews phenomenal people from all walks of life who are, in essence, changing their own reality. So through this show, we'll be hanging out and interviewing social change makers, entrepreneurs, business owners, thought leaders, artists, musicians, and inspiring individuals from all across the world. And many of them who have gone on to not only change the course of how their path went, but whose journeys have gone on and spilled over and impacted others too. And hopefully by hearing these inspiring stories and how they've managed to do all of that, we can pick up little bits of wisdom that we can apply in our own lives in a sense, and that hopefully charts our own courses a little bit clearer than before in a sense. And I wanted to do this show simply because I believe that there is huge, I would say, um, gain in listening to the stories, the experiences of those around us in a way. And that there are so many people who do these amazing things and make waves of the lives around them. And by hearing their journeys of how they became who they are, we can hopefully replicate that and do the same. And to show you how powerful I think the powers of, of stories are in a way, I actually personally founded and run a youth movement called Ascendance that started back at home in Malaysia, which is where I'm from, that today works with over 35,000 students in 28 countries, collaborates with global education platforms from Wharton Business School to the Malaysian Ministry of Education and Science to provide an alternative education system or to any kid who wants to change their reality. So we work with students from elementary all the way up to college through various sessions, programs, experts learning activities and projects that help them discover what they love doing, learn about themselves and the world around them through hands-on projects and create meaningful careers that not just help themselves, but as I said, help those around them too. And we've worked to date in over 970 communities and have incubated countless number of student-run projects and social enterprises run by students as young as 8 to 25 years old. And the basis of all of that has been stories has been kind individuals who have been willing to share what made a difference in their life, willing to shorten the learning curve of those who come after them. And just like that, I hope that this show is that same platform for you so that you guys who are listening to this today will be able to take the most out of this and change your reality at the same time. So if you have any questions about it, do drop it in the show chat below. If there's anything specific you guys want to talk about, any stories, any industries that you want to uncover, let us know and we'll try to take as many of them as we can. Now, today just might be one of our most interesting episodes out there. And personally, for me, one of our most stressful for uh, me as a host, in a sense, personally, simply because our guest speaker today is a legend in the world of podcasting. So he's actually uh, the head of strategy at Mission.org, a new American media studio that operates a network of C-level and executive-focused shows and podcasts. So they're funded by Founders Fund and Sukriya, and their podcasts are frequently at the top of the charts at Apple Podcasts. They've even won awards from them and have not only courted top execs around the world to be on their shows, but have stolen the hearts of thousands of listeners like you and me in a way. So our speaker is, uh, is someone who I personally listened to some of his shows and the conversations that he's had over at Business X Factor, one of his podcasts and Marketing Trends, another one that he hosts. And I've been blown away by his, by his conversations with the CEOs, CMOs, change makers, and phenomenal people. And 
very grateful for the fact that he's spilling these secrets behind some of the world's most innovative and exciting companies out there. So he's interviewed executives from companies like Intel, Google, Infosys, Wells Fargo, Vice Media, Lego, and, and many more as well. So today we are here to uncover this story in turn, hear a little bit about the journey that has spanned from large tech companies like Google, uh, human providing humanitarian relief in countries like Sri Lanka, and so many more phenomenal experiences. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest speaker, Jeremy, onto our virtual stage. Hey, hey. Hello, how are you doing? How is summer treating you? <laughs> I'm doing amazing. I will say that that introduction was the 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 biggest mic drop of that I've ever. I mean, that was in a it was a crazy introduction, Harsha. So thank you. I had a great weekend, and I'm grateful to be here. Well, that's high praise coming from you, and I really, really appreciate you being on the show. Um, I personally, as I said, I'm always curious when I when I listen or hear or about phenomenal people how they got to where they are today, and and by just watching the show that you guys that you have in a sense it, it's very clear that you're someone who's extremely thoughtful extremely nuanced in the way that you think about things and i think that just the ability to do that um is out of this world in a sense so thank you so much for agreeing to be on the show and for uh taking the time to speak to me and our listeners in a sense and i'm glad you had a great weekend as well uh it's summer for all of you guys who are watching this years from now and, and wishing that you caught it live um but yeah so Hopefully it was not too hot, too cold. I'm from a tropical country, so I, I, I can never really tell with seasons, but hopefully it was good for you. It was great. Yeah, it's great. We, we, I live in Austin, Texas. And if you if you know Austin, Texas, then you know that the summers can get pretty toasty. Um, and the, the benefit of being in Austin during the summer is there are some absolutely beautiful places to jump in the water, uh, natural springs and just beautiful spots. So that's what we did this weekend. And very grateful and and similar to you i grew up in louisiana which is ex extremely humid and it's like the it's, it's it's all the seasons are pretty wild there so for me it's like you know it is what it is but um yeah it was awesome so i think that's a great segue to my first question in a sense um tell us a little bit about how you decided that this was the industry for you as i as i kind of mm. alluded to in the intro mm. you you worked at Google, you, you've done so many phenomenal things. And I think even before that, um, you, while you were doing your bachelor's degree, if I'm not mistaken, you did, um, uh, you were still interested in kind of like looking at, at things from different perspectives, a bit more than mm -hmm. uh, our typical boring uh, finance and art students here at Penn. Uh, but, but you have done amazing things. I think you did your bachelor's in interdisciplinary studies. So mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about who were you like when you were a kid, in a sense? Where were you imagining a career as a top podcast host, having these amazing conversations, or were you socially awkward like the rest of us, really? Mm, that's a, such a great question. I, as I reflect on my path from now, from then till now, I will say that the through line for me has always been curiosity. Um, I have always been super curious about everything and everyone. And so as I, even as a young kid, I just was curious about a lot. So I experimented a lot. I did a lot of things. I played sports. I, I got, I got into theater. I got into music. You know, I, I tried, I just was curious about it all. So, so I think that was what led me to different kind of stops and starts along the way, including, you know, when I, when I got to LSU at college, like I, I was 
you know, like many, many young people coming out of high school trying to figure out what do I want to do and what path do I follow? So I kind of picked the subjects that interested me, which was business, English and sociology. So I kind of focused on those things. And then after school, I, yeah, I started to just follow this curiosity whisper in my heart, if you will, of like, what's the, what's the thing that's lighting you up now? So it led me down many paths of, you know, working in corporate America to, to, to working in entrepreneurship and, and being in that world and then going back and forth. You know, as you mentioned, I've had the privilege of working with some great brands like Google and, and, and a few others and, and also had the chance to work with some absolutely ridiculous entrepreneurs. And so I think that, it, you know, I, I didn't I never imagined that I'd be able to sit and connect with the most brilliant visionary marketing minds in the world on a weekly basis and interviewing them and top executives. I never knew that's where I was headed. Uh, but I will say that my curiosity led me down a path to eventually being interested in podcasting, to launching a sh my own show with a friend just for fun. And we did about 10 episodes and that kind of sparked something. And then I met the CEO of this business mission and then it was all, you know, it was game over and I started hosting, you know, a show here and, and then two shows and um, curiosity, follow the curiosity. And I was never really concerned about the, like the how, like how I was going to get there, you know, even the why it was just follow what this, Cur this curious whisper in my heart is and it's led me all over the world it's led me into some amazing companies with some of the you know most brilliant humans in the on the planet and um it hasn't stopped it hasn't stopped yet no that's brilliant in a way and i think curiosity is something that is both innate in us and constantly beaten out of us as a kid in a sense and mm -hmm. <laughs> so 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 definitely it has this uh, there's this fine balance of, of fostering it and not annoying everyone around us as we grow up with curiosity in a sense how yeah. how is uh, like like one of the things and this could be very telling of, of, of where i grew up in a sense but one of the things that i noticed is that Curious children, in a sense, get into a lot of trouble with <laughs> with with mm -hmm. others, in a sense, with with their families or, or with mm -hmm. people who maybe prefer a more straight and narrow path. In a sense, how what was the kind of like the people around you? What were their thoughts, their feedback, or their influence on you as a kid that enabled you to really develop that? Yeah, that's good. Um, you know, I, I think I think there were pockets of experiences around how you know people you know were around me parents you know family siblings uh classmates uh fellow athletes you know etc um i think primarily i when i was following this curiosity it was authentic to me so i felt like that authenticity was always bringing the right people around me and so i i didn't experience much harshness around my curiosity um now sure i went through the rebellious teenage years and and when I'll, you know, where it's like, okay, mom and dad, you know, nothing. And it, it takes, it takes a while to get to pass that. Right. And in those years, sure. Rebellious and curious, and I'm going to go do me. And so I, of course I went through that. And I'm sure like most parents, my mom and dad were probably trying to rein me in and, you know, and keep me in some sort of a box, but that just, it wasn't possible. I was so like, just thinking so big and wanted to taste the world and wanted to experience the world. And so I set off to do that and I didn't really let anything limit me from doing it. Brilliant, brilliant. And I feel like this is a sentiment that many college kids feel, but we have no idea how to do that in practice. Either we lack the courage, we we, we lack really the, the idea of what the first step is to, to go out there and really see the world to, or, or even just discover ourselves. And what we end up doing is really just 
following the norm of whatever is happening. Like there's this joke that I share with the professor at Penn, which is everyone comes into Penn wanting to change the world and they leave in the finance industry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> don't tell anyone I said that. Um, but, but I feel like that's very telling of many colleges and in many kind of circles in a sense. You, you, you come in wanting to do something, you leave doing something completely else. And it could be from the brilliance of the quality of education, from peer pressure, so many factors. How did you navigate that? You know that you're spot on. You're spot on with that. I think, um, like like many you know undergrad people and kids in undergrad, and you know I say kids in undergrad. That's funny. I'm, I'm 40 now, so I guess I can say kids. But um, you know, young 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 people in undergrad, you know, trying to figure it out. You know, and um, I I think, yeah, I think it, it. I bumped I bumped around as well. Like I I I think I was was fortunate to be around many friends that I went to high school with that we all went to the same college together. So it was a benefit in that I had a lot of friends who were overachievers, top producers. They were going to law school, they were going to med school, like they were going they knew what they wanted to do. So that that did kind of encourage me to to pick a path and try to figure something out. I didn't really resonate with going to med school for a minute, I was thinking about law school and was preparing for that, but then I changed my mind. And, but I think I was surrounded by people who were on paths they loved, which just, again, kept me curious about what was I going to create? Um, and it wasn't always, definitely wasn't always easy. You know, I mean, I, I still didn't know where that next step was going to be as I reflect now and I think about my life and I'm like, Whoa, I see how each thing led me to the next step. But in the moment of being in college and even after college, it's like, you know, it's very much of a still like many people, like what's happening in this world? How do I contribute? Right. How do I make an impact? And so I wrestled with that just as much as I think a lot of people do. No, definitely. Tell, tell us some of these stories of, of making those decisions and, and, and kind of making those experiences happen. We were just talking before this and I have some pictures of the, you. I think you went to Sri Lanka during uh, mm -hmm. the, the earthquake uh, a couple of years ago and, and you you were there on the ground helping people. Uh, very bold, very needed uh, and something that, again, people want to do. They want to help, but they don't fly halfway across the world and actually yeah. go and pray humanitarian relief and you did that while you were a college student tell us a little bit about the story behind why did you do that in a way and what yes. was the response yes. from the people around you and how was it like on the ground well i love this question and i'll, I'll preface this question with at this stage in my journey in my life, I do think there is something way outside of me that is orchestrating things sometimes where it's like, wow, that's just a miraculous thing, right? I mean, my career and the things that I'm doing, like I'm just like, I could not have, I could not have picked this path. So rewinding back to Sri Lanka, I will say in 2004, for those of us that were that were young enough or old enough to remember, there was a huge tsunami that struck the world and it, it impacted many countries. It was devastating. There were a lot of lives lost and it was pretty insane. Um, so like most, you know, uh, catastrophes in the world, it was covered by the media. So I remember watching the news and, and coming, just seeing like, it was almost hard to fathom this idea of this wave, you know, destroying just virtually, you know, cities. And, and it was just wild to see the devastation of what this, this catastrophe 
is and was. I had no concept of what a tsunami really was. So I remember watching it on the news and being really tender for the people and thinking like, here I am, like so privileged. And I had a conversation with a friend of mine who was in med school at the time, one of my amazing friends who was a, a real smart overachiever, amazing guy. Shout out to Dr. Emilio Russo. This one's for you. Um, he was in med school and he and I were talking on the phone and I said, man, I would love to go and help these people. And he's like, me too, man, this would be great, you know? And we just kind of talked it like, it'd be great to do it, but we didn't put any plan in place. It was just, we just mentioned how we felt for the people there. We wanted to go do something about it, but I was about to start my senior year of college. Like I wasn't really thinking like that this is gonna happen. I was just like, man, I'd love to go. Well, a couple of weeks go by and I get a phone call from my friend Emilio. Um, and he said, I don't know what to tell you, but an anonymous donor paid for a group of us to go to Sri Lanka and bring some doctors and bring some nurses and bring people that want to help on this trip. So if you want to come, I'm going. I know you and I were just talking about going a couple weeks ago, so I'd love for you to come. So I was like, whoa. So now the financial piece is taken care of. I'm like, I mean, I'm, I'm a college kid. I'm not paying to go to <laughs> Sri Lanka, right? So, so the... So the trip's paid for, I, I mean, of course, this is like, my whole body was like, this is a huge yes. Now I have to go talk to all my teachers and say, hey, you don't know me yet. I'm a senior here. Um, I signed up for your class and I'm actually not gonna be here for the first you know, month and a half of class. I'm going to Sri Lanka to do tsunami relief work. And so it's wild and I can tell you more about my experience there, but yeah, so it was just a matter of putting it out there. We all hear about this, put it out there, you know, like say what you want to have happen, manifest your reality. And, and that's what we did. And I can't, I still to this day don't know who paid for that trip, but we all had a very transformative time in this country, uh, supporting these people. It was, it was, it was wild. I'm just gonna like 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 take a little uh, like like meander a little bit and, and talk about your experiences there. So so help yeah. us get into the story in a sense. You and this this group of people, which probably you know some of them, probably you don't know most of mm -hmm. them in a sense, land yeah. in a country. I know literally halfway across the world because it's uh, because I've done the math for that for, for some weird reason in a sense. In a place that's just been torn up by a tsunami. How do you feel? What is the first thing on your mind as that thing that Well, it is, it, you know, I had previous to this, to going to Sri Lanka, I had been to Africa. I lived in South Africa for six months, um, a couple of years before. I was a, a freshman in college. So I took a semester off. My sophomore semester, I went and lived in South Africa. So I had been around poverty, had been around, you know, harsh conditions. I, I thought that I was prepared for what I was getting into in Sri Lanka. Cause I, again, I'd been to third world country before and I was like, okay. So, but when we landed in Sri Lanka and we got out of the airport and we drove for a couple of hours to get to the place we were staying. And it, I remember driving in the car. I mean, not driving, I was riding in the car and just mouth open the whole time, just looking out the window. Like I was driving through, it looked like a war zone. Harsha, it looked like a atomic bomb got dropped on this place. I mean, entire buildings demolished. I mean, people, I mean, it, it literally looked like a bomb, like a bomb went off. And I was just insane to see that much devastation, um, mass graves, right? Because you have a lot of people that died and what are you going to do with the bodies? They literally would dig huge holes in the ground and just pe people's bodies in, in the ground. So it was just 
eye-opening to see. And I remember just getting there and, and realizing I maybe I wasn't as prepared as I thought I was. I, I it was really tough to see humanity, my fellow humans, you know that had been just, it was just like, whoa, so many questions come up around why. And you start hearing stories of some of the things that were happening there. And, you know, it, it was, it was really, really wild when we arrived, just getting there was like, oh my God, like this is tough. And so, yeah, I didn't know any of the people that we went with except for my friend, Emilio. Um, and then we met a bunch of other doctors that were there. People basically flew in from, you know, all over the country to, to join us there. And we just started setting up medical clinics in Sri Lanka. We'd go to a village and set up a tent and people would line up for a, a long ways down the road and they would come and try to get medical attention because the tsunami was destructive. I mean, we heard stories about how people were, you know, were killed and it just was crazy, you know, like kids, kids holding on to the tree while their parents, you know, get swept away, right? Or or mom and dad holding on and it's got one of the sister or brother in this arm, but the other one in this, and then losing, you know, the family and kids who now have no parents because they died in the tsunami or or the other way around. And just it was really emotionally tough, like to just to be there. And then the amount of devastation was overwhelming because it's like as much work as we did, we could have been there for a year and still not scratch the surface of what the help that they needed. So it felt like a big task to, to carry. And, um, it, yeah, it definitely challenged me quite a bit. Yep. Yep. I'm going to put up, uh, this photo, I think of, of, uh, from your time yeah. there. We'll yep. Tell yep. us the story behind this photo, what's happening, where, what are you guys doing? Yeah. Yeah. So this is, this is a, yeah. So, so I was, I'm not a doctor or a nurse. And so I didn't, uh, I wasn't able to do the doctor nurse thing. So what I did was I would go with a crew like this and we would travel from house to house and every house in part of the village would have this hole, which was what their water was in. And so that was actually a fairly nice one with concrete. It was pretty decent, but most of them just had a hole. It was a big hole in the ground outside of their hut. And they would use this for water for drinking and for cooking and eating and cleaning. Well, when the tsunami came, well, you, now you have all of these dead animals and dead bodies and, and all kinds of bacteria now sweeping into all of these water holes. So we as a team would go from house to house and pump out the water and try to clean up the hole as much as possible because the people were still drinking the water and still cooking. I mean, that's what they, that's all they had. So, so we just would go house to house. We would, you know, we might get to 10 houses a day and we're talking hundreds of houses, hundreds upon hundreds within each little, you know, village. And so it was, it was intense, but we, 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 we got as far as we could. You, you see, I feel like the, the thing about many of these things, the world in general, in a sense, I feel like um, it's very nuanced in a sense. There's so many little things that you don't even think about unless you're there. Like like the, this whole aspect of a, of a tsunami, you wouldn't know that about uh, the, the people dead, the people, the devastation, the, the fact that even the water thing was a problem. But you knew about it because you were there in a sense. And I'm sure the experiences you had, um, as you said, when you were in Africa, when, and, and probably the many other experiences you've had since then are very telling of how the world is shaped and and and, and reveal to you slowly the nuances of different experiences. Why is that important? How, how did that change you as a person? How do each of these experiences contribute to the way you think, the way you approach a problem or, or who you are in general? Great question. You're a great host, Harsha. <laughs> You're so 
Okay, thank you. Um, indeed, yeah. I think you should keep doing this. This is uh, this is good. Um, so you know, what it's shown me is that you know this the the amazing connection that we have as humans that we have this ability to create just pure magic in the world. I mean, we really, when we come together collectively and contribute to something, I mean, you know this, Harsha, very well, 35,000 members in ascendance, right? 970 communities, you know, people, the power of stories throughout these communities, and you're already seeing it in these ages eight to 25, right? You're, you know the capability of, of humans. So all of these, you know, the places I've traveled and the, and the businesses and the opportunities and all the things has just shown me that that we are amazing, <laughs> truly. That humans are just, you know, we we are we are made with some really. There's some divine intelligence that I think is inside of these these human bodies of ours, and I think that when we come together in all kinds of ways to create all kinds of things. Um, we all know this, like, you know, we can really make impact. We can really change things. So it's just shown me that no matter where I go, we, we can absolutely contribute to something, something really big. And we all are in some way, whether we think we are or not. No, no, very, very well said. Mm -hmm. I, I think the issue here, and I swear I'll move on from your college days in a second, but you're just too <laughs> interested in a human being. It's, it's, it's horrible for, for my casing. Um, but I'm serious, like, be less interesting, um, <laughs> if you can. Uh, well, well, one of the things that, that I like about this, in a sense, is the way that you, you tell the story. It, it really reminds me of this quote, you know, that, that a lot, I, I have no idea who said it, but they say that the universe conspires to give you certain experiences so that you can be the person you are, so that you can do the work mm -hmm. that you were meant to do. I have no idea mm -hmm. who said it, but I, I love that, and I live by that philosophy. But I feel yes. like there's a certain amount of effort that you as an individual have to to put to meet the universe halfway in a sense again going back to kind of like being a college student uh, convincing people around you and then coming back and, and having this different perspective how do you go about making yourself prepared for these experiences in a sense or at least how do you go about convincing everyone to let you leave take a year take a month off from college in a sense and and, and still come back and, and not kick you out at college which i think most of my friends would be worried about <laughs> in a sense yeah yeah well i think in this case you know the the tsunami everyone knew about what was happening in the world so it wasn't like you're doing what like what's going on I mean, it was kind of one of those things where everyone was talking about it everyone knew it was going down so I, I I had a feeling that I was going to be received with with warmth with like literally it was every teacher except for one one teacher said that if you don't come to class you know I'm going to fail you basically which I was kind of like ouch that's tough so dropped that class and went to you know got another one so but I, but I think right but I think um yeah but I think just you know in that moment it was well received because the the need was great we knew we had people struggling and hurting and and we needed to help so that was i don't think that was difficult um yeah and then just in generally speaking you know um i i back to this curiosity thing i it's it's just it's kept me just so devoted to what feels like what feels real for me like if it feels like it's true and it feels like it's real, I can't deny that thing. And so I, I, I really want to cultivate this idea of like, if this feels like a yes to me, like it's a yes, and it might not feel like a yes to anyone else, 
I've noticed that when I follow that yes, and when I when I answer that yes, magic happens. Doors open, meeting people, the next career step, the next you know the next interview, the next thing. Just following that, like what is like, not comparing myself to other people. The virus of comparison. But if I don't study this thing or go down this thing, then I'm not going to do. But my parents are saying this, and my teachers are saying this, and my coaches are saying this. Like it was a matter of acknowledging all that, but kind of quieting that noise, like reduce that pressure and that noise enough to listen to what feels true to you. Like what actually feels true to you? We all have this compass inside. And, and I, I'm kind of of the mind now that I don't know that it's really up here. I don't think that the, the GPS is up here. I think it's more the great travel, the great distance into the heart, you know, into like, what's here, like what feels like a yes. So as I reflect on these moments, travels and things, I just follow that yes. In the in the midst of it not always working out on paper or in the midst of my parents being like, no way you're going to Africa. Like, no, there's no way, right? Like all of those things happened. And it's like, but I can't explain it. I have to go. Like, this is, this is so real for me. I'm going to Sri Lanka. I'm not going to be at class for two months and I'm going to go. And so people just buy into authenticity, I find. And and it just and then doors start to open you know follow it just leads to the next thing so i hope that was the answer to your question oh brilliant answer and i definitely agree that that the following your heart is something that i feel is uh, is essential an essential skill that should be taught in school beyond any math science or or future planning than anyone can do the following the heart and the way that it brings you through life i think it, it makes it makes for at least a much more interesting and, and, and exciting lifetime in a way uh, yep. and and there are times where the heart speaks and there's times where i feel we need the heart to speak and one pivotal time i feel that at least it feels pivotal at, at this point for many college students is the moment you leave school in a sense, in the moment you leave college and you've graduated and, and you, you you need to figure out what to do next. Uh, there's no timetable on when the heart will speak. It's not like 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 it, it's not like it's it's gonna say, hey, you, you congratulations, you're done, here's your degree, here's the next thing. It, it, at least I don't think it does that for most people in a way, but you still have to make a decision at that point. You have to go and figure out what do I do next? And you've got to at least kind of a, a piece together you a, a little bit about what your heart wants and if you can and go and figure out what's next. How did you make the decision for you at that point of what to pursue now that college was over in a sense? And I'll embarrass you for a second with, with some college. <laughs> Look at that. Yeah. You have the image in mind in a sense as you answer. That's great. Yeah, that's great. Um, so let's see, that was 2005, that photo. So if you're wondering who that good looking young man in the middle is, that would be me in 2005, just for the record people out there. Um, so, um, you know, after school, I, you know, it's, it's, I love this question because I, here I am, I've gone through this college experience. I've, I went to Africa. I lived there. I came back, actually went to, another school closer to home for a semester, then went back to LSU, kind of switched schools for a minute, then went back, then went to Sri Lanka, came back. So I've had this, I had this experience and taste of the world as I graduated LSU. Um, I, I was going to go to law school and I, I was preparing for the LSAT. And then I was like, nah, I don't want to go to school for three or four more years. So I decided not to do that. And, and then I just looked, honestly, I started to look, look at, like, who do I know? Like, it's kind of that, it's that age old thing of like, who's in my network that I know. And so I had a cousin 
who worked at a company in Los Angeles. He worked for Medtronic, a big medical device company, uh, global, you know, multi-billion dollar company. They do all kinds of medical devices. And so he introduced me to someone that had a, that had a job in LA in, in, in California. And so I interviewed and then first job out of college was selling medical device. I was selling continuous glucose monitors and diabetic supplies to doctors and patients. And um, that got me out of Louisiana and into, you know, the great state of California. Um, and so that's how I entered into that space. I, I wasn't passionate about medical device sales necessarily. I was passionate about California and leaving home and seeing what the world offered. So what was the path that would help me create that? Well, oh, I found a company that would relocate me after college and help me get out there and 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 pay halfway decent in LA and I can find my own place. And so it was a big step for me to just get to a new spot. And the channel and the path for me at that time was through this company. Um, and it was fantastic. I mean, that led me to working there for a couple of years and then meeting uh, a woman that I ended up marrying and then traveling um, around going to Europe and then to different states. And it was just a, an amazing dance that happened after me just saying yes to going out there. So no real um, synchronicity to get out to California. It was like, who do I know? Okay, cool. He's out there. He could probably, let me see if he can help me. And he just got me a conversation. And then I shared, you know, my truth with the interviewer and ended up getting the job. But that's what got me out there and started the the professional life. No, I really, I, I, I definitely agree with that in a sense. Sometimes your heart just says, go do this thing. And you're like, how? And then you, you've got to kind of arrange your circumstances around it. And then it leads to the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. Nice to say when we're having this conversation, probably terrifying for you moving to, or at least exciting, exciting, terrifying for probably everyone else around you. Exciting for you in a sense uh, where, where you're moving to someplace new. Sales is never an easy job. So kudos in a sense before that being your your first in a sense right uh and at the same time balancing that in new space and then figuring out why you're here in a sense you know so just kind of integrating into a community and, and and realizing that tell us a little bit about those early experiences your first few years in the working world and how that evolved mm. into bringing you around the place and how it evolved to what how it evolved to you traveling and and, and living that life that you foresaw when mm. you first entered yeah, I mean, uh, it was interesting joining a, a big organization like Medtronic. I mean, you're, I'm entering into a place that's got thousands of people and, and global impact, lots of different products. And so it's this, the, the infrastructure is great. It's like a web of infrastructure. There's so many layers of people and operations and, you know, different divisions and things. So it was like this first experience for me of like, wow, this is a, a huge machine that I am a very small part of a wheel inside the machine. And so I learned that I could get into that world. And my my super secret power was that I could find the smartest person in the room, the best, like the, the top achiever, and I would just go literally sit next to them. So I would, I remember early days, I, you know, fresh out of training and, and at Medtronic, I, I said, who's the best out here? The manager said, oh, that girl over there. I said, okay, cool. I pulled up my chair and said, hi, I'm Jeremy. Teach me everything you know. And so she did. She mentored me and I sat with her. And so I studied her process and I followed her why she was so good. And then I went and duplicated that. And then I was a top achiever. So it, it's, it showed me that, that, that we can get into these environments and navigate our way through and find success and find pockets. And I also found that I 
And after about a year there, I was like, oh, wow, okay, I could choose to stay here and climb the ladder. Or I could start listening to this, you know, curiosity thing again, and think about what is the next step? What if I want to do something completely different? And so I learned that 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 being inside of a massive organization was probably not where I wanted to be long term, grateful for the training and the development and the language it gave me to open doors in other places. Um, but ultimately, it led me to getting into more entrepreneur entrepreneurial things and, and finding you know, very much smaller businesses and partnering with friends from high school and college that were now having their own businesses. And so getting into that world, but I, I, I drew and pulled from all of my experience in corporate America too. Um, and it all helped. So it was all part of the plan. Right? I, I didn't, I didn't know what I was necessarily going to be doing, but again, as I reflect, like each thing really helped me to get to the next thing. And an entrepreneurial life is not exactly a piece of cake in a sense. I feel like 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 people think it's all it's great and all of that, but but it just means that you you become the boss, the key lady, the, the employee, the the every level of the management in a sense, all in one. So so you work five jobs at the same time essentially. Um, but but from from your whole just your 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 love for curiosity or your experiences, you seem like definitely a naturally very entrepreneurial person. Mm. Uh, did the entrepreneurial lifestyle set in with ease? Was there an adjustment period? Uh, did you struggle? Did you hate it? Did you love it? Tell us your experiences. As mm. Yeah. So, so my father was an entrepreneur. Um, still he's retired now, but at the time my father had his own business that I witnessed do really well. My dad had a mobile ultrasound business. So he would basically hire ultrasound technicians and they would travel to hospitals all over Louisiana and do ultrasound for the heart and the baby heart and the whole body. And so he built a successful business doing that. So I witnessed the flexibility and the freedom that gave him. Uh, he was traveling and all over and, you know, things and we went on vacations and you know, we were in private school, et cetera. So I was like, oh, okay, this is interesting. A lot of my friends' dads have jobs and that's cool. But like my dad's like creating his own thing and he's the CEO and I see what this did. So I witnessed that. And as I got into college, I watched my dad's business go the opposite direction too, where he ended up having to make some pretty big pivots. So it was a really successful business became a not so successful business and almost bankrupted the whole thing. And it was a, it was like quite the teeter totter. So uh, my view on entrepreneurship was, wow, this can be this really amazing thing. And it's not a guarantee. And look what happened to your own father, right? Who is a great man and a smart human and look, look at the things that can happen. So, so entrepreneurship was this interesting pickle for me because I knew that it was, there was a lot to it and you know, there is, again, like you said very well, it's, it is not the easiest thing necessarily. It's a, you know, one of my mentors, uh, Alex Sharfin talks about entrepreneurship being a full contact sport. You know, like you said, you're doing so many things and the really great entrepreneurs are able to move up the, up the layer and grow from six figures to seven figures and eight figures and nine figures and 10 figures. But how do they get there? And, and it's definitely not easy. So, so it, it became this interesting kind of school of hard knocks around now that I'm interested in entrepreneurship, what are the business models that interest me? What are the things that, you know, what's the world I want to play in? So I got into kind of marketing and got into PR and started, this is early days, like 
doing social media for businesses and building websites for businesses and just trying to figure this out. This is like, you know, late 2000s. And um, yeah, and so it, it it really set me on a path to show me that nothing was guaranteed if you choose entrepreneurship in terms of just because you say you want to be an entrepreneur doesn't mean that you'll have an outcome of ultimate success. However, you define that success, you may or may not hit that. Um, but it was still worth going down the path, right? And it and it and I bounced, like I bounced around. I did different things. I joined different companies and ended up, you know, figuring it out what was most interesting to me. And then we landed here at Mission. Absolutely brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And I and I and I definitely am going to spend a little bit more time on what you're doing right now. But there was one more experience I want to talk a little bit about, which yeah. was your time at Google, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Some people, like I know, dream every day about how they could get into Google. There's one person I interviewed who I think sent out 24 applications and got rejected 23 times to work at Google. And essentially he was like, take me in any in any position or any field that you can. So it's not an easy place to be. Everyone there is super smart, like you definitely. Why want, why, why, why would you want to work there in the first place? And, and is the myth of the culture true? Did it fit with you? Did it jive with you? How did it enhance your learning? Hmm. Well, I appreciate you telling me I'm smart. I like I like hearing that. I think some days I some days I agree. Some days I'm like, eh, I think I don't know. But uh, <laughs> thank you. Um, so Google, I you know the Google story is actually interesting because at the time, so I was in California, medical device sales. Uh, met a woman that worked there. We ended up getting engaged and lived in Louisiana. We moved from California, lived in Louisiana. Then we relocated to Orlando, Florida, where she was opening up Lululemon stores. Shout out to Lululemon. I love Lululemon. Um, she was shouting, she was opening up stores for them. I was doing entrepreneurial stuff with a friend doing consulting and, um, and we had gotten married in Austin, Texas as a, as a destination wedding. We weren't living here, but we said, let's get married in Austin. That sounds cool. So we got married here. And then we're living in Orlando doing our thing. And I said, gosh, I miss Austin. Like we liked it there. We got married there and we, we had been in Orlando for a couple of years. So my, my, my wife's like, Hey, let's, you know, why don't you go try to try to get a job in, in Austin? So she stayed in Orlando. I knew one person in this city. I said, Hey James, I'm coming. I'd like to stay with you. I'm going to try to get a job in Austin and move, move my wife here. And we're going to live here. So James said, okay, come on. So I, I came to Austin, I stayed at his house and slept on the couch and I started interviewing Harsha. It was every day. I mean, I was using all the things I could do to try to get into places. I mean, you name it. And I didn't have a huge network here. So I didn't know a lot of people and nothing's panning out. I mean, and I, I interview well, I have experience. I'm pretty sure I can get into places. Austin was a thriving city, like a lot of opportunity and nothing was panning out. Like no one was either. I wasn't making it past the first round or I wasn't getting calls. I'm just like, ah, now I'm, you know, money's getting a little low. I got to get back to Orlando because my wife is there. Like, I guess I have to kind of go back. It didn't work out. So I'm, probably about a week away from leaving Austin and going back to Orlando with no job. Uh, I was really disappointed. And then I get a message. I believe it was on LinkedIn uh, from a recruiter that said, Hey, recruiter for Google. I saw your profile. I like your background with small businesses. I'd like you to interview at Google. I was like, 
So first of all, first of all, Harsha, I was like, let's think about this for a second. Number one, I did not go to any Ivy League school. I did not finish with anywhere close to a 4.0. I think I graduated from LSU with like a 2.8 or a 2.9. I, you know, I, I finished, you know, in a in an okay study. It was okay. It was not like I wasn't academically brilliant on paper to them. And this was back in the day where, you know, before Google started loosening their grip on even needing an education and like a degree to get in. But at that time, it was like they were hiring the smartest, brightest people because they could. So I was really struck by this guy. I thought it might have been a scam. You know, this is not real. He's clearly like got the wrong Jeremy, right? Like I, I didn't go to Harvard, not me. But he's like, nope, I want to talk. So I said, all right. I, I remember being in my car thinking, this is it. Google, you got to get in there, bro. You got to do what you can. So I remember being on the phone with him. I even recorded the conversation because I was like, you may never get to ever work there. So record this conversation. So I remember recording the conversation of the, the guy asking me questions and this and that. And he's like, okay, great. I'll let you know. I'll let you know. Week goes by. Hey, we'd like to have another interview with you. It's like, oh, sweet. I got another, I got the second round. So went in, did a second round. Now I'm inside the Google office. I remember sitting in the waiting room, Harsha, and I was like, I was like, I'm half, like I'm halfway in. Like, and I remember there was a sign that said, no, no photos, no video. You can't record anything. I turned my phone on. I'm just, I'm recording from like down here. I'm just like, trying to capture because there's like people riding scooters by and you know and the office is like the secretary Disneyland is sitting yeah well, yeah yeah so i mean i'm like I, I see like just people that seem incredibly happy the secretary or the administration person the, the the lady was actually her desk was inside of a half of a bus it was like the front of a bus that got converted into like a desk and so it was just this wild view and so i'm sitting there waiting for the interview i get in there I interview, I think I did okay. I wasn't really sure, but again, I was like, at least if you're gonna interview at Google, you gotta leave it all on the field. You can't, you just bring it all, do everything you can. So so I did, got another call. We wanna interview you again. I'm like, oh, this is interesting. We're moving on to the third round. And so after three rounds, they extended me an offer. And I was like, Whoa. I mean, I, I like like many humans in the world, I was like, this is it. I'm never going to work anywhere else again. I've finally made it to Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. This is it. Like, and I remember, you know, opening the door and like getting in there and seeing like the, the, the cafe with all the food and people eating and like, and all the free, everything was free. Like, I mean, literally everything like the food and the snacks and the, the video games and the ping pong and all the stuff. And I was just like, Oh my gosh. So, I immediately realized that I had this opportunity now to do what I used to do, which was find the smartest people in the room, find them. And so, and they're not, they're not, they're not hard to find these days. If you're out there, people like you, you, it's really easy to find, just look for the high performer. And if you're not sure, ask like, who's the best out, who's the best and humble yourself enough to walk up to this human and introduce yourself and say like, you're the best. You know that. Everyone knows that. I would love to learn because I don't want to. I don't want to even pretend to not be great. I'd like to be great like you. And then just go in. So I found people because at Google there are brilliant humans everywhere. Everyone is brilliant in their own way. So you can learn and glean stuff from everyone. But I just found people that I that 
resonated with me that had interesting approaches to things and how they use their language and how they close deals. And so I met lifelong friends there. I, I met my best friend of now 11 years there who I'm in business with and partnership with. So like I met some beautiful humans. I learned a lot and Harsha, it reminded me again of kind of being back at Medtronic. It was like big, big business, lots of people. And it was like, what kind of impact do you wanna make? Do you wanna stay here? Do you want to, you know, fight for other teams and roles and try to move up? Or do you want to follow an adventure and do something different? And so, so after a year there, I left and joined a couple of other companies and, and did some amazing things. And then Google called me in 2014 to come back. And so I interviewed again and got back and stayed there for two more years and did something completely different. Um, so I, I love my time there. I learned a lot. I, I really appreciated their approach to velocity, Harsha. They just speed. It's like they there's so much support and resources at Google that everyone is moving fast and they're breaking things and they're making mistakes and they're and they're and they're and they're getting things right and they're creating cool things too, but it's velocity. It's let's go. It's not, hey, how do you like do this? It's like, no, go do it go fail, go figure it out. Oh, you need help? Cool. Here's the money for it. Oh, you need to hire someone? Go hire them. It was just a lot of support, a lot of velocity, and a lot of pride in you know working for arguably one of the best brands in the world and seeing the way that they collaborate with each other and seeing the way that the world responds to the things that that company was doing. It was completely insane and wild to see and be a part of. Um, and I, I wanted to create more. Like I wanted to be a part of something that was like, what if I jump in and like, if I was early days Google, if I was one of the first, you know, 20 people joining, maybe it'd be a different experience, but I wanted to be a part of something where I could contribute to something that wasn't already this massive, beautiful thing. I wanted to see what would happen if I went a different way. So everybody went right and I went left and, and it worked out, you know, it's still working out. Oh, absolutely. You are, as I said, could you try to be a little bit less interesting for the sake of the show? <laughs> it, it was just, I was too enrupted in the story. I, uh, no, no, I am, I'm in Google's office right now, like, like, like waiting for them to call me in an interview. <laughs> you, you, you're a very, very good storytelling. You definitely transported me into, into that little piece of the world. And I think all of those experiences that you share really show show a human being who who definitely has a, a lot to to give in terms of their experience in terms of their thoughts in terms of the way of yep. thinking and and coming into kind of what you do now and in, in, in the podcast i think you first started a podcast with a friend did about 10 episodes as you said i mm -hmm. think previously mm -hmm. And then it was so mind-blowing and earth-shattering that, that, that mission.org was like, you have to come and, and then you have to be part of this in a way. Tell us a little bit about that journey starting a podcast. Many people, I feel, think it's an easy journey. It's not. And you definitely have years of experience in, in a melting pot that has made you the right person to do that and do it phenomenally well. So where did it start? So, so podcasting, like specifically? Or, or like, yeah, you know, what you do now, where was like, like the thread of what you're doing right okay. now? Yeah. Okay. And, and before I answer that question, I want to, I want to, I want to give everyone out there that wants to work at Google or Facebook, yeah. or if you want to work at one of these companies, I want to give you a little nugget. 
a little nugget that I didn't know about until after being on the inside. So if you're listening and you're like, look, entrepreneurship's great, that's fine. I wanna go work at Google. Here's, here's what I suggest you, you check out. And I did not know this until you know after the fact. So Google and many tech companies that recognizable tech companies that we all know and love and use every single day, and there are many of them. And by the way, there was a time when Google had the sickest culture, you know, out of all the companies, they had the best of everything. I mean, it's true. Google was like, there was no comparison. In 2022, that is no longer the case. Like I've worked at other brands where it's like equally amazing and then they add more stuff to that. So a lot of these companies all have the amazing perks we all dream of and it's great. So I'll say that, but here's the tip. Here's the tip. All these companies, so many of them, hire what's called temporary vendor contractors, TVCs, contractors, okay? So you could go to the Google website and look at the careers page and you could apply to a job that you like there. I recommend that you do that too. Like, yeah, if you wanna apply, do that, it's great. Just know that that resume is going with a thousand other people who are just as badass as you and they may you, they may not even get to you because they found like someone. So don't take it personal, but you can apply. I did that too. I sent tons of resumes to Google. Contractors, find out the companies that, that Google and Facebook and LinkedIn, find out these companies that they contract to. I'll give you some names, Adeco. Nelson Staffing. These are some companies that are huge staffing companies, global multi-billion dollar companies that what they do is they go find people for Google to hire roles for Google. So they find out, okay, Google, you need to hire 30 people for this project. We're gonna, instead of you deploying all your resources, we're gonna go find them a lot quicker. We'll onboard them, we'll bring them to you. And so if you go to these contractor sites, they oftentimes, now they won't tell you the name of the, they won't say Google's hiring and here's the role but they have a lot of job descriptions and it's kind of like, you can kind of see, oh, okay, like this is a huge tech company. And so you can kind of figure it out. So the tip is if you really wanna get into those worlds, don't worry so much about the full-time employee status, like go get a contract, go get in the door, and then you can do all kinds of amazing things and also get paid really well to be a contractor too. And so that's just a little tip I wanna, I wanna put out there. I know I didn't know that going in and a lot of people can get in through the back door, the side door, if they find these contracting companies. So there's many of them out there, um, just a tip. So yep, yep. to answer- spilling the tea with this, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so just to help, you know, fellow, fellow humans out there. And so, um, yeah, so podcasting and media, me and a friend of mine, shout out to Ryan Baudouin, who's out there. Um, he and I were talking and we just were like, you know, podcasting is really interesting and I think we'd be really good at it. Why don't we just like, just for fun, like start, create a show, you know, let's just do it for fun. Like you and me, we'll hop on zoom. We'll, you know, we'll interview some people. I know some pretty awesome people, you know, some pretty awesome people. Let's invite them to come on the show and we'll talk to them. And so we started doing that. We just literally, you know, he had a full-time job. I had a full-time job and we took, you know, our hour out of our day and we would hop on zoom and we would interview people around their businesses and their their lives and careers and it the the name of the show was called secure the bag and it was like the the energy the intersection of like you know securing the bag profit making money but it was like the how like the passion of how you get to that point like because there's lots of ways to secure the bag so we 
So we started doing that. And like I said, we did 10 or so episodes and it was really cool. The thing that I didn't like and that Ryan didn't like about it was the back end, the production, like <laughs> editing and chopping and downloading and uploading and sharing and getting to all the things and trying to grow an audience. It was just like, whoa, whoa we don't want to do that. We just want to talk and like do our thing. So we stopped doing the podcast. We did 10, 12 episodes and we said, okay, cool. That was fun. Let's, let's take a break. Um, and then figure out if we want to spend money on making it something else. And in that time, I met the CEO of Mission. And she was like, hey, I think you would be a good host if you want to interview. I have a new show called Business X Factors. If you want to interview for it, like, well, why don't you, you know, try it out? So I said, all right, sure. So I, I interviewed for it and her team, you know, really liked me and I had no expectation I was going to get it. And, and so that got me a foot in the door at mission as again, contractor came in as a contractor. I'm just doing, I'm just doing one thing. I'm hosting a show. They hired me. I'm, you know, it's a part-time thing. I'm still working a full-time thing as well. And it just goes to show you that I was curious about podcasting. So I tried it. I tested it, found out that I liked it. Someone else saw value in that and said, wow, I think you'd be great. This, this someone happened to have a network of shows, like 26 shows. So she knew what would be good. And that, you know, me following my heart and following this, this little side project, which I didn't think would go anywhere, led me to, you know, one of the, you know, I'm biased now, but I mean, I think one of the most premier media studios in the world in terms of getting executives on the shows and like the things that we're doing, the people we're talking to is, is insane to me. And so it's now graduated from now full-time, you know, leading strategy here, as you mentioned, which means that I get to be a part of bringing in new partners and new sponsors for these shows. And I get to have conversations with brilliant, brilliant executives and share with them what we're doing with brands like Salesforce and UPS and Dell and others. And so it's really beautiful to see and all started from, Hey, I think podcasting will be kind of cool. Let's, let's just, let's just do it for fun. Let's see what happens. That was it. Now I can reach out to virtually any C-level executive in the fortune 500 or fortune 1000. And I can pretty much almost always get them to come on the show. It's very rare. You know, we're, we're, we're checking off every company. It's like, yep, Walmart, got them, you know, Google, you know, Lego, Vi like we're just checking them off. And it's fantastic because now we have this network. We can bring in these brilliant humans and ask them what they're doing. And I, Mr. Curiosity is, I'm just being me. I'm, I'm not, I'm not anything except asking questions and listening and that's it. You know, I normally try to wrap up our shows, but I think you did it beautifully and you tied everything back together as well. And as we kind of wind down this conversation, I think final question in, in, in all of this, and, and don't get me wrong, there's just so much to process from your awesomeness that I feel like this requires a couple of rewatches to really sink in. But but if you could summarize in, in, in I mean, you probably can't, but but if you can summarize in, 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 a, in a sentence or two, and you can't use the word curiosity. What would be, what would be your final assessment in a way of what made you the person you are today? I am deeply enough. It is. I am enough. It's it's this, it's this thing that took me many years to get, which is 
I, I just I really believe this now being 40 and now being a dad and, and experiencing a little bit, a little bit of life. I believe now that we have all the things that we need to be wildly successful in our and however you define success, that's important. This is really important because we all define success different, but we all have the ability and capability to get there. We are enough. Like we don't, there's nothing actually missing. Sure, skills, learn, mentors, sure. Go, you know, all those things are real, but we we cannot mess this thing up. We really can't mess this thing called life up. Sure, can we learn lessons? Can we make mistakes? Can we choose the harder way? Can we choose the easier way? All that's true, you know? Can we jump off a bridge and die? Yeah, that'll probably happen. It's not like we we live forever, we can be silly and, and, and carefree about everything. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, if you really, if you zoom out of this experience and you look at the way things have happened in your life, even the hard, tough, challenging ones, that got you to the next, you know, the light, the shadow to the light, the the valley to the mountain peak. If you look at all those things and you think, "Wow, I'm here," I, I didn't, I didn't mess it. I mean, it's part of my experience. You can't mess this thing up. So listen to your heart. Travel the great distance from this beautiful brain. Travel it all the way down to this beautiful thing, and 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 listen to the whisper because it's 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 oftentimes quiet. Sometimes it's loud, like uh, but most times it's it's quiet. So follow that and you will find out that you cannot mess this thing up. So enjoy this thing that we have called life, taste it all. And even when it's tough, even when it's challenging, like it's part of the experience, you can't mess it up. And when your time is done and when you're, when it's time to leave this body and go, fantastic. You did, you did it great, but you can't mess it up. So just press on, create magic because I did. And I think everyone can, and I'll leave it at that. Absolutely brilliant. And um, I see that you really took it seriously to contend for best episode on the show and, and, and more <laughs> sitting on, uh, on the theme of changing reality, but I do appreciate it. And you are definitely a phenomenal person to talk to. Um, I will keep watching your show. I hope that our audience will spend some time to, to hear your thoughts and, and hear how you have these conversations because it's just been so amazing talking to you. And, and I really, really believe that there's so much to learn from this and from everything that you said. So thank you so much for being on the show. And I just hope you had a fraction of the amount of fun that I did having this conversation. Thank you, Harsha. And I just right back at you, you know, I, what you didn't, what you didn't share was that I, I messaged you first, actually. I saw that you interviewed, you interviewed someone that I'm having on my show, Suresh. And I was really impressed by your interview style and your approach to this conversation. And so when I reached out and we got to where we are, it's because you are an amazing human being creating real magic in the world too, up to great things. Like you have this mission, like this devotion to rigor and like, and, and apl application to your life. That's super clear, especially being with you today. I like, it's so clear you are moving towards continued greatness and impact. I mean, it's amazing to witness. So thank you for having me on your show. I feel honored and let's stay connected and stay in touch for sure. And you, you keep rocking it because that you are, you are an amazing human. So thank you. Thank you very much. Now we have to end the show because I will start crying if we don't. <laughs> and that would just not be good for my future return to audience. But before the tears start flowing, 
thank you so much for, for being on the show. Thank you for audience for joining us. I'm sorry I completely ignored you. I was too enraptured in the conversation and I'm sure you were too. So thank you guys so much for joining us. And if you enjoyed today's show, join us again next Thursday at 10 p.m. BT as always. Bye. Do it. Bye. You're listening to Changing Reality. Changing Reality, where we bend reality all across the world. Only on WQHS Radio.